Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berende, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with James Perpera. We are going to be talking about overcoming addiction and the power to change. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Let me just give you a little intro to James so you can know why I'm so excited. James has experienced some of the most extreme moments life can offer. Fifteen years ago, he was an inmate struggling with life in solitary confinement, placed there as a result of his actions while homeless and addicted to drugs. While in prison, he reconciled his life and developed a personal philosophy. Once released, he found his wife, created an amazing family, a beautifully prosperous life, and became inspired to share his knowledge with the world. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, James. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation as well. Yeah. So before we dive in to our topic, will you please tell our listeners what your superpowers are? You know, I've always found my superpower to maintain love in the face of hate. Mm. That is is a super, super power, I think, especially in today's climate. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, how I think about it is, is this idea of betrayal. Can somebody betray you? Mm. And the answer to my question, my answer to that question is no, it's impossible to be betrayed because as long as you're giving in love and you maintain that love, then the only person the other person can betray is themselves. Mm-hmm. And so where betrayal comes in is the idea that you go down to meet them where they're at. And then, then you've betrayed yourself because, you know, because giving is receiving when you give and you give in love and you give with good intention and a good heart. And that is going to come back. It very rarely comes back from the person you give to anyway. So the only way that the only betrayal in the situation is if you meet them where they're at and you betray yourself by changing your, by changing your state from love to fear. And therefore that gift returns in fear. Yeah. I mean, you just said, so much, right? There's like, there's like a whole book in, in, in what you just um, shared with us. And, I, and I, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is because I think that your, your story is, you know, it's like these are concepts that we hear a lot in the, in the personal development world about taking, taking ownership and taking responsibility for your life, right? right. And, and for me there's giving lip service to that. And then there's people who have actually lived that. And I feel like you are such an incredible example of someone who has come through like really about as rock bottom as you can hit in our, in our culture. Um, and you've come through to the other side to be able to say something like what you, what just came out of your mouth, you know, I mean that, I don't want to, I don't want to put froofy words on it, but for me, that's, that's huge. And you're, you're a living, breathing, walking example of the power of change. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And it did, you know, it's, you know, you kind of brought up the personal development space and, you know, I remember, 
I don't know, it was back in 2007. And I was actually talking to a gentleman named Neil Donald Walsh. Um, mm -hmm. Neil told me that he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, and I was just starting my rebuild process. And so I said, well, you know, someday I want to, I want to rebuild my life and I want to um, be able to, you know, figure out what are the mechanisms by which we create our lives, our existence, you know, happiness, well-being, things, creativity on the outside, money, those things. And then when I get there, I want to teach that, you know, those principles to others. And he said to me, well, why are you waiting? You should just start teaching. And I said, well, I don't have anything to say. Um, and he goes, well, you learn what you teach. And I said, you know, Neil, I said, the last thing this space needs is somebody who, who makes it by teaching something they don't know. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we actually debated it for a few minutes and, you know, but that was my point is, is that I wanted to go out and I wanted to live in the rawness of what it meant to be alive, what it meant to create my existence, what it meant to foster happiness and well-being. And, and then through my experience, not through, you know, reading a book, I wanted to take principles, apply them to my life, see what worked. And I wanted to be standing on top of the mountain and I didn't want to get on the mountain being standing there by trying to teach other people what they should do. Cause mm. I think that's, you know, the, the world's full of a lot of parrots where they just take information and keep regurgitating it. Everything that, that, that we write in our book and put in our movies is, is, is ripped through experience. Yeah. And that, and I really, I have a lot of respect for that. Cause I, I agree. I think this industry is chock full of, of people who don't have an embodied experience of what they're talking about. And I think that that can get really dangerous because it, it, all it takes is two degrees off center to be sharing and teaching something without the full embodied understanding of it for it to kind of go haywire, right? Or, or for it to just not work and then for people to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Well, yeah, <clears throat> you know, the run faster, work harder approach to personal development already only works if you're already going in the right direction, which few people are, right? And the other thing that, that I really have a challenge with is the fact that they make it all about the individual. You aren't doing this. You aren't doing that, reinforcing the idea that somehow there's a problem with them, right? That there's something wrong with them. And it's like, I have to I have to change because there's something wrong with me. You know, we have a whole narrative that you wouldn't have seen in the book and the movie because I developed it after that. But it's this idea, you know, we like to tell people that you've never made a bad decision. And, you know, when I tell people that, you know, they, they generally go, no, James, I feel like I've made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> what do you think of that narrative? Right. It doesn't, it does. Well, I mean, it depends on how you slice it, right? Because there is there is being able to look at bad decisions that you've made or quote unquote bad decisions that you've made and say, I want to do things differently. And that and the whole thing that you present in the book around taking ownership, taking personal responsibility, right? Because right. that, that can be a very empowering, empowering stance to take. And I also very much hear what you're saying and um and can see that other trajectory and have sat in it myself and, and counseled people through it of understanding that there is an unfoldment that's occurring and to judge it as wrong keeps you in the suffering. 
Yeah, so we take it a little bit differently. And so what I like to tell people is you've never made a bad decision. Not only that, you're not even capable of making a bad decision, right? Unless you're a sociopath or you're mentally ill. And people are like, well, what are you talking about? And what I said, you know, what I would say the difference is that you've only ever made decisions with bad information, Mm -hmm. right? And so you might think that's phonetics, but it's not. And there's a really important reason why it's not. What you need to understand is we all make decisions the same way. We literally examine all the information that's around us at any given point in time, and we make the best decision we can with the information that's available to us, right? A bad decision would be, I'm going to make a decision that I know at the time I make the decision is against my best interest, and I'm going to do it anyway. But that's not what we do. We're only ever doing the best we can. The problem is, is that the information that we use to make our decisions <clears throat> is often wrong or lacking and and the reason that's important is to understand that there's nothing wrong with you, right? All the listeners, like, I'm going to get to take you off the hook. There's nothing wrong with you. If if my life is something that you aspire to have, then and you look at me, it's not because I'm better than you, right? It's only because I had better information when I made decisions. I mean, it's not no secret, right? Better information, better decision. So if it's an inf- what it comes down to is it's an information problem, right? We like to say that, you know, if your life is not how you want it to be, it's not because you've done anything wrong. It's because you made the only decisions you could with the information that's available to you. It's an information problem. And so a big part of what we're trying to do is to teach people where they access and get the information for that, which they make the decisions. And that's where everything comes back to perception. So I want to let everybody that's listening to my voice off the hook today I'm going to tell you once and for all, stop beating yourself up because there is nothing wrong with you. It's just information. And when you have good information, you make good decisions that empower your life and move your life forward. When you have bad information, you make decisions that don't turn out so good. So there's so much that I want to unpack in in what you're just talking about. We do have to go to a quick break though. Um, and, and we're going to dive much deeper because there's one thing in particular that, that I caught that I really, really want to go deeper into. Um, before we go to the break, will you tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your work? Yeah, they can, so they can go to our website, powerful-theletteru.com. We have a movie. We have a book. We've got an assessment. We've got events. Go check it out. You know, engage with our content. And thanks. We appreciate you coming by. And- yeah, so we are talking with James Perpera today about overcoming addiction and the power to change. This is um, going to be a very juicy conversation, and there's more to dive into when we get back, so stay tuned. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts, and we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter, we now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. 
Okay, we're back. So before the break, you're talking about, you know, we don't ever make bad decisions. We, we just make decisions with bad information. And there was some, there was an example that you gave of like, of not looking at something and saying that I can't, re- I'm, I can't remember the exact words that you used, but it was essentially the gist of like, we, we don't look at something and say, that's not good for me and then do it anyway. But isn't that kind of the definition of addiction is to, is to know that what we're doing is not in our best interest, but we can't stop ourselves from doing it regardless. So the question is, is why are you addicted? Right. And so what, what we, you know, people ask me this question all the time. Are you saying, what about addicts? What about murderers? What about, right? Why you know, I would say most murderers are sociopaths, not, not all, but most, right? But here's what I would say is an addiction is an escape from pain, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm making a choice to use a drug as a way to escape from something I'm feeling inside, at that point in time, that's the right decision for me. Because maybe that pain, if I didn't, then it would overwhelm me. And, you know, I would look at something like suicide. Right? I don't so, have the tools and resources to actually be with right. it. You know, you talked about personal responsibility earlier, and I'm a huge proponent of personal responsibility, but there's no point in taking personal responsibility if you don't know what to do with it. Because if you do, then you're only creating more suffering. Well, and this is something that I think where people sort of attack the personal development industry and sort of the positive thinking movement is this, and in the idea of taking 100% personal responsibility, I think what happens for a lot of people, and again, I think this comes down to not just not having the tools and resources, but a lot of people, when you say, when you talk about taking 100% responsibility, they go immediately into shame and blame of themselves, right? So let me, so let me, I'm going to give you the story about where I discovered personal responsibility. So when I was sitting in my jail cell, I used to write these long lists of people who I felt like had harmed me. Mm-hmm. And so that I could, you know, I'd read some books on meditation and prayer. And so mm-hmm. I, would, I would get into a meditation or a prayer and I would offer these people, try to offer these people some types of forgiveness, right? And it just didn't seem to be resonating with me. And so one day I looked down at this list of people and I thought to myself, the only common denominator between all of these situations is, in fact, me. What if I somehow created all of this, right? And so I thought about what that meant for a second and what I, what I actually for a long time. And what I came to was, well, I couldn't have created some of my life and then not others. Either I am the creator of my existence, right? I created it all or I created none of it, right? And so as I wondered, thought about that, what do those two things mean? And if I was not the creator of my existence, that meant the world really was a terrible place, and I probably didn't want to play anymore. But if I was the creator of my existence, that meant I could create something new and wonderful in its place, but I had to take responsibility for everything that ever happened to me. And so on that day, I, I decided that I was the creator of my existence and that I would take ownership of all of this stuff it happened to me, even if I didn't know what that meant. At that point, what I did was I took my power back. Now, let me back up and tell you from there what I had to think is, okay, well, what is the creative element in my life? And so if you go to my book and my movie, 
you know, you'll read my kindergarten story. So when I was in kindergarten, um, my kindergarten teacher, the first day I was going to go to resource or special, they used to call it special ed class. She called me up in front of the room. You know, I had some severe learning disabilities and she brought me up in front of the room and she said, you know, you know only stupid and retarded kids go to special ed. Oh my God. And then she made the entire class call me stupid on the way out the door. And so of course I went home and told my mom, my mom was post, she was, she was depressed, bipolar, undiagnosed. Uh, my stepdad worked 16 hours a day and my real dad was off doing drugs. So it was like nobody, she was just like, you're just going to have to deal with it. And so I went in the next day hoping that this was a one day, one time occurrence, but it wasn't every single day. She'd bring me up in front of the room and tell me I was stupid and make the whole class tell me I was stupid on the way out the door. And so I thought to myself, what creates my life? And so the question I had to ask myself is, does my abuse define me? Yeah. Right. Because, you know, bad things do happen to good people. Let's acknowledge that. Sure. And what am I taking responsibility for? And so here's where I got to. If my abuse, in fact, defines me and dictates my experiences, then I'm stuck forever because I can't go back and change the abuse. Right. Right. And so as I thought about that, I went, well, it can't be the abuse because not everybody that has incurred abuse in their life has allowed it to destroy them, mm-hmm. right? Which means it can't be that. You know, if my mom was a great mom and she was able to engage and she got me therapy or, you know, went down and confronted the school, got the teacher fired, you know, and there would have been some, some acknowledgement that none of this was supposed to be happening to me, then maybe I could have chose differently. And so what I went to is, is what created my life was what I chose to believe about myself through living through that abuse. And it's funny because when I tell that story, they're like, you were only five years old. What choice did you have? And it's true. I made the most logical decision. But when people say that to me, I'm like, stop taking my power away. Hmm. Right? Because I did make the decision. It was mine to make. I decided, okay, here's a person of influence, a teacher. She would know. So what she's saying must be true. I must be stupid. Right? But that was my decision. And that decision is what created everything that happened after it. Well, now, but it, it created beliefs, right? Right. Well, it's that belief. What I chose to believe about myself was the decision. Right. And the beliefs of what I chose to believe about myself created my terrible life, not the abuse. Right? And what's empowering about that is understanding that I can go back and change what I believed about myself. I can't go back and change the abuse. And so in that moment, there's where my power lies, is the level of belief. What creates your information is your beliefs about yourself in the world. And that's the information that dictates your perception. And that's the information by which you make decisions. And to be fair to five-year-old James, like you made that choice with the information that you had, like, right, to circle back to what you were did the best I could with what I had. Right. right? And that's what all we're ever doing. Right. And so the, the question is, well, where do we get the information, you know, to fuel our perception? Well, our subconscious mind is full of of it. Right. It's all these beliefs that we pick up when somebody looks at us wrong or somebody says something to us or somebody who attacks us. It's not, it's not the abuse that defined me. It was what I chose to believe about myself through living through the abuse. 
And that's what I had to change and address. Yeah, and that's that's radical. I mean, you have children. Do you do you talk about these kinds of things with your kids in terms because I think that there's a real movement of and and a growing consciousness the, these days and awareness that we're doing this work transmuting things that occurred to us in childhood. And so those of us who have children, it's like, how do we then work with our children so that those beliefs don't get implanted in the first place, right? And Or that they get to, they get to choose a more empowering belief at the outset. So the answer is yes, we work with our kids. I mean, ironically, I have a 17-year-old son I had before uh, Steph and I met. And, you know, he lived with his mother for the first part of his life, or 18-year-old. Um, and he went through a lot of the same experiences I did, you know, got bullied in school and different things. And so it's like looking in a mirror, I got to help him post-abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our younger kids um, have a very good understanding of self and life. And, you know, anytime that we see these issues, we're always addressing them. But what are we addressing, right? And so here's where you know, most people get hung up. It's, it's, so what we say is that the, your life comes down to two basic elements, perception and emotions, right? When you understand the source of information that's feeding your your perception, and you, when you understand the purpose of your emotions, then and only then are you free to set yourself free because your emotions are your only window into your subconscious mind. And so what we do as people so often is that we're constantly making our emotions about other people. You made me mad, right? Or their emotions about us. Oh, well, they, they're mad. They must not like me. When that, that's, that's where we get caught up is misunderstanding our emotions. Your emotions are not pointing to something that's wrong on the outside. They're pointing to something that's wrong on the inside. Their feedback. Your feedback. Yeah. Period for your false and limiting beliefs. I like to, I, I often talk with my clients about emotions as weather. And if we can allow the weather to move through the body system, right? Just like a storm moves through and not attach storylines to it, then all it really is is energy that's moving through the body. Right. But the, but the question is, is that, I think we can go much deeper with them. What are your emotions trying to tell you? And so what I would say to the listeners is, is that the question I ask people so often is why do the things that upset you upset you? Right. And it's because those emotions are tied to false and limiting beliefs that you adopted in your past because words inherently have no meaning. Right. Right. No meaning that, you know, you and I could be having a conversation and all of a sudden, you could get really mad, right? And I could say, well, what's wrong? And you could say, well, what you just said upset you. And I could have used a word that somebody used in the past to hurt you inadvertently, even though that word today wasn't used meant to hurt you, it still has that emotional meaning tied to it. And so the example I'd give you is that coming out of that experience, I felt like I was dumb. You know, you could say just about anything to me, but if you said I was dumb, it was on. I was mad, and you were going to know it, mm-hmm. right? And so was that about the other person? You didn't even have to say I was dumb. You could just say something like, oh, well, you wouldn't understand. I'd be like, oh, you're saying I'm dumb? Right. 
right? And so what was that emotion telling me? That anger was telling me that I still, even though I had this thought in my conscious mind that I was smart, I was still harboring feelings about being dumb in my subconscious mind. And whenever somebody triggered that, it triggered an emotion. And that emotion was telling me that that belief was still there so that I could go back and deal with that belief. And <clears throat> so you're right, they are, but they, they are such valuable feedback to what's going on in our subconscious mind. You know, most people don't realize 95 of our mental cognition is in the subconscious, right? And so what you see and feel on the inside will be reflected on the outside. That's how perception works. And so you're only, it's like we're playing a video game. What we're interacting with on the screen is our own beliefs, right? Because that's all we really have access to. And so as you get these emotional triggers, you know, we've developed methodologies for, you know, pinpointing the emotion, right? Finding the correlating memory or idea that's tied to it and then processing that emotion in your past so it doesn't come up the next time somebody steps on that trigger. Um, so I, wa I want to go back to something that you spoke about earlier about when we were talking about the personal development industry and, and what can often happen in terms of making everything about the individual. Um, I would love to hear you say more about that because in, in your book, it's very much, you know, and when in this concept of taking personal responsibility, it is sort of about, okay, the individual's responsibility in their life and in their choices that they make. I'm curious, what's the sort of the next step that you've taken with that in your understanding of maybe more collective responsibility? You didn't share it, so I, I would love to hear your Oh, thoughts. no, that's great. So, I mean, what are you taking responsibility for? You know, and I'm, let me make this very clear. You never take responsibility for the other person's actions, right? That's on them. They're acting in accordance with their beliefs. You're acting in accordance with your beliefs, right? And so you leave their stuff to them and you take ownership of what you chose to believe about yourself through living through that, right? And so essentially, you know, when you talk about the individual, um, in that sense, it's like, okay, well, I'm taking responsibility for my life and for what I'm creating because the past doesn't stay in the past is that we don't have to go into the past to find the emotional disruptions from your childhood. Right. They're actually with you in the present right. because every single one of us, you know, when we adopt the mentality of fear, right, that fear touches everything that happens from that point forward. And one of the interesting things you said about was about the choice. So if you're only doing the best you can with the information you have available, you're not actually really in choice, right? Because you're not seeing all the available information because you have to be able to expand that because you only, here's, here's what the human animal does. We only ever act in accordance with our beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. So at the moment we're having an experience, we don't actually have choice in that moment. We have to act in accordance with our belief. So that's not where free will and choice comes in. The choice comes in is when we choose to move outside of our experiences and start questioning our beliefs, right? Because what we're doing is basically what we do is we go into past experiences to question and unearth unhealthy or limiting beliefs that we have, to challenge those beliefs and change them so that the next time we're having an experience, 
that the beliefs that we're accessing will lead to a different decision. And so in the moment, you can only ever act in accordance with your beliefs, right? But what we can actually do is where choice comes in is to be able to basically go back into your past and into your subconscious mind and reprogram the computer so it spits out a different result. Yeah. And that takes a tremendous amount of desire and will. And I mean, that's, that's a, that's a path. That's, that's a journey and it's not necessarily a journey for the faint hearted because it's, it's, it's work. I mean, it is, you, you have to be willing to, to examine those things and to be real and raw and honest with yourself. Right. And, you know, at the end of the movie, you, you probably heard this, I, I say this line and, you know, people ask me um, if it's hard, right? And I said, well, that's the wrong question, mm-hmm. right? It's the wrong question. Don't ask me if it's hard. Ask me if it's worth it. Right. Right. Because, you know, we, we all look at this journey. It's like, you know, you, if we, let's imagine that we go rock climbing, you know, with a group of people and we, you know, so they're, they're climbing with a rope up the top of this mountain or hilltop or whatever, right? This rock face. And you and I are standing at the bottom of the rock face and we're looking up and they have these, the people standing that have already made it up there have this giant smiles on their faces. Right. And so it's like, well, if I was up there, I would be smiling like that too. But if, if I just took you from the bottom and stuck you on top, right, you wouldn't have that smile on your face. Right. Right. Because you didn't, the smile came from the journey to get there, right? Climbing up that rock face, that sense of accomplishment. You'd be up there going, this isn't even all that high and it's not, you know, we're in the desert, so it's not very beautiful. What's everybody smiling about? right? If we could just put an elevator there. But the fact is, is that that's the part that people miss is like, you know, so oftentimes, why don't people change? Because they don't calculate the cost of not changing, meaning they don't understand there's a cost of standing still, right? Everybody's on a path to somewhere. You don't, this isn't magic. You can literally just simple math, right? You can look at the four or five areas of your life, you know, are my relationships better this time last year than they were, you know, you know, are they better or worse? Is my health better or worse? Is my fitness better or worse? Is my, do I have more money or less money? Is my career better or worse? And you can look at all the different aspects of your life and you can just take that, calculate it into the future and you can, there's no magic to it. You know, the act of God type of change doesn't exist. And so, you know, I've got this other narrative that I, that I talk about and it is, look, either do the work or change your goal, right? There's, there's no shame in it. Just be, be comfortable where you're at, which is a perfectly acceptable thing to do, or, you know, do the work necessary to move forward, but do not stay where you're at, wondering and pondering about what more looks like, and then not do the work because you're causing yourself more suffering. And so the question really becomes, look, there's nothing that you have to do, right? The question is, what quality of life do you want? And the real place where this comes in is around the awareness of of who it is that you want to be, right? And if you have everything that you need, it's perfectly acceptable to say, well, this is all I want to be, but that's not the majority of people. They sit in the lack of what they want, right? right? And then they look at it and go, well, you know, that's a lot of hard work. And the answer is, you're you're right. It It is a lot of hard work. But 
life can be magical. You can literally have everything. Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, I see this, I see this in myself, I see this in our, in our society at large, that it's like we want, we want the, the quick fix, we want, the, we want immediate gratification, we want it now, we want to click a button and we want it to be here, we want our Amazon Prime membership so that we can order something and it arrives at our door the next day or in two days, like we want it immediately, we want it now. And and yet everything you have just said is so true and so on point. And there's, there's a level of appreciation and depth of gratitude that you just can't, you simply can't access if you get it immediately. There's, yeah. there's something in the anticipation and in the working towards and in the building and in the journey that is part of the gratification. And we're in this, in this like, instant want it now immediate culture like we're we're losing a lot of that well i think my kids are a perfect example so my kids have everything right okay. you know and i make sure that they have everything and not in a, like a selfish gaudy way like i don't you know it's not like they're driving bmws or anything right but they you know they have working cars and everything they want and they eat good food and and i used to think when i was a kid right? If somebody just came by and gave me a million dollars, all my problems would be solved. Right. It's the lottery mentality. Right. It's like, if I just had this, then I would feel this way. And that's actually the wrong way. It's that, you know, and that's why it's never enough. Right. Right. Because it's like, well, you know, I'm not getting that sense of my fulfillment, but I can look at my children and I should say, based on that, you know, what I believed when I was a kid, they have everything that I hoped wish that I had because we were very poor and it was like they're not without their problems and challenges right and desires and wants and desires and, and wants yeah. and it's like you know and they don't even think it's all that special right they're just like oh well you know we've always had everything so what what does it matter right like and so I'm like you guys don't even understand what you have right like I would have killed I would have given anything to have that life but that was the interpretation and so the reason it's never enough, the reason people are constantly, you know, driving for more is because you think that something outside of you is going to fix and heal you. And right. it can't be so because what's outside of you is only a reflection on what's inside of you. And that's the underlying, you know, bottom line message of perception. What's on the inside reflects on the outside. Yeah. And that's what Steph and I picked up on very early is like if we wanted to change our experience on the outside, we had to change what we believed on the inside and then it reflected on the outside. That's right. We call it the inside out game over here at SPE. <laughs> yeah. So we, we play the inside out game, but people are absolutely convinced that there's something that's going to help them. And so I've got this chapter in the book, it's called money, 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 money. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it's true. It's like when we got to our first million dollars, I looked at Steph and I said, are you happy? She said, no, nope, not me either. And so I was like, all right, well, hold on, we'll get another million. And we get there and it's like, you know, we weren't happy, right? Not at least the way we thought about it. And I tell people this all the time, like I could give you a million dollars, you're not going to be happy. You'll be happy for about 10 minutes. Right. Right. And because of the joy that, you know, like all of a sudden you can do whatever. Adrenaline rush. Yeah. Right. But as soon as that settles, you're going to go back to being exactly who you are now. And people don't understand that. And there's a there's actually a statistic that supports this. It's unbelievable. 
They did a 10-year comprehensive study on suicide. The only thing they found is rich people kill themselves more often than poor people. Right. And everybody's like, what? And I'm like, it makes perfect sense to me because rich people no longer live with the illusion that money's going to make them happy. Period. Right? And so when you get to the end of the road and what you thought was there wasn't there, then it was like, oh, well, I guess there is no happiness. Well, luckily, Steph and I didn't do that. What we did was it said, okay, well, obviously, what it takes to create money and what it takes to create happiness are not the same thing. So we better figure out what it takes to create happiness. So we embarked on a full another journey. And what we discovered was is what it takes to create happiness and well-being and what it takes to create money and physical stuff is not the same thing, but they're two, two sides of the same coin that we call perception. Creating happiness and fostering well-being is about changing and shifting your perception of your inside world. Creating money is about changing your perception of your outside world, post-assumption. Now, you know, what, you know, I, I think you guys, you're fairly into the spiritual world. There's probably a lot of spiritual people here is, is that we've been made to choose, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, what do I choose? You know, this spiritual path that gives me well-being. But I'm going to be broke my whole life and be happy. Or am I going to go out and create money and wealth and I'm going to be miserable, but at least I'll be in good food, right? And it's like, we don't actually have to choose. You can shift both at the same time once you understand the fundamental principles that we're talking about here, which are perception and emotions. Because once you understand that, it's actually easier and faster to shift those all at the same time. And you don't have to choose between those two things. Between perception and emotion. No, between between money, well, and health, well-being, and happiness, and money and creativity and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So okay. you can have both. Agreed. My baby just—I'm pregnant, and my baby just kicked an affirmation to you on that one. <laughs> um, we are coming towards the end of our time. I want to thank you so so much for for taking the time out to to be on the show. Um, and to have this conversation, I really have enjoyed this connection tremendously. Um, is there anything you want to make sure gets really hammered in or that we haven't touched on or that you want to retouch on before we sign off today? So here's what I would say. Um, you know, the, the reason Steph's not on the show today, my beautiful wife, is because um, uh, her brother committed suicide about a week and a half ago. Um, and my life has been touched very deeply by suicide. Mm-hmm. And there were some mitigating factors, things, you know, that prevented, we didn't know were going on. Um, but I would say that there's somebody or several people listening to the sound of our voice right now that, that are thinking that they're alone, that they're in the dark, and that there's no hope. And that, you know, they're never going to change and their life is always going to be this way. And I want to speak directly to those that person or those people and tell you that, you know, you don't, you aren't alone, right? There are people, there are resources, there are, you know, there's information that you need. There's nothing wrong with you, right? You just, you've isolated yourself and you believe things that are not true. And you can change. You can have a life that's great. You can create that relationship you're looking for. You can create the money you're looking for. You can create that happiness. You don't have to stay in this place of feeling alone, feeling separate and feeling good and not good enough because you are good enough just the way you are. 
It's just a shift in the ideas that you carry about yourself. It's the stories that you're telling yourself about yourself. And so what I would tell you is if, if you're listening to my sound of my voice and, and you're harboring those feelings, tell somebody, have a conversation, you know, get a part of this community, the, the superpower community, right? Reach out to, to the folks over there. Come see us at the Powerful You and, and, and get the information you need to move your life forward because there is hope. Even in the darkest of times, there is hope. If you're listening, you're listening because right now you want something different for your life. And I'll let you know that you can create anything you want. Your life can be magical. It can be wonderful. And anything is possible. Thank you. And I think coming from you, that means a tremendous amount. And so I just want to echo what James just said. If, if you are struggling, reach out to us. Um, you can reach out to me, Tatiana, at superpowerexperts.com. You can check us out over at superpowerexperts.com. Um, you can go to powerfulyou.com. There's a lot of places and people and resources that are available and people who are just waiting to love on you because you're worth it. So thank you again so, so much, James. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I love to have these enlightened, awake conversations with people who get it. And, you know, I'm sure your listeners are in the same boat, but, you know, I would, I would invite people to come check out our movie, check out our book. I think you liked them. Mm-hmm. So, um, because yeah, there's a lot of really good information to move. There's a lot of things will make sense that never made sense to you before. There's good stuff in there for sure. And to all of our listeners, I love you so much. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply and so that we can love you more deeply. Many, many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.